everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. I have a live interview for you. Yay! <laughs> Thanks so much for your patience with all the re-airing of the Coach's Corners. All the coaching episodes were fresh episodes for you, but we re-aired a lot of the Saturday episodes just so I could have time with my girl. So thank you so much for your patience and continuing to listen and download and subscribe. All those things really help the show grow. I love today's guest. I could have talked to her for a lot longer than I did and asked her a lot more questions, but you can learn more about her by Googling her, as she says in the end, we're getting one of her books. We talk about the afterlife. We talk about what happens after we die and why we're here. Why do we come to this human life form? I think you're really going to find Nancy Dennison very, very interesting. A little bit about her, something that may surprise you about her is that before she got onto this path of communicating what happens to us in the afterlife and teaching us about source and manifestation. She was a healthcare lawyer. She spent 36 years in practice as a healthcare writer, defense attorney, and litigator. She was a partner in a prestigious law firm. But after her first death, she's had several, she left her firm and became a solo practitioner and continued to do really amazing work. She's been listed in Who's Who in American Law. She's also got a bachelor's degree in psychology. She's very, very accomplished. And I love that about her because here's this woman who's a lawyer, very educated, very accomplished, but is talking about what happens after we die and what happens in the afterlife. So like I said, I think you're really going to enjoy this interview and probably will percolate some, some questions and reflections in your own mind. So now on to my interview with Nancy. Nancy, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you here. I'm really thrilled to be here with you. So we are going to talk about something that I have been wanting to talk about on this show for a while now, but... I won't spoil it. I want you to actually lead us into this conversation. And I'll tee you up by bringing forward that you were a very successful healthcare lawyer, litigator, healthcare provider, defense attorney, and was a partner and had this pretty, I would say, corporate, maybe we could say more logical life. And then you had a pretty significant experience that brought about some changes in your life. Could you share with us what that was? I died. <laughs> actually, actually, by now, I have died and come back three times. I've almost died three more times in the hospital, and I've been out of body a bunch. It's, so it seems like once you have left your body and crossed over, it's a lot easier to do it again. And uh, so at, at the end of my first, I call it an afterlife experience, I was given the mission to tell everybody what happened to me and what I learned in the afterlife. And that's what I've been doing since then. And then I had died two more times and went back in the afterlife so that the spiritual beings that are monitoring my mission could like, you know, push me along. Mm, mm. Now you, you talk about this, Nancy, as if you were telling me what you had for lunch. There's such a lightness to it of about a pretty heavy topic. I mean, you died three times and almost two more. So walk us through this. What happened? What was that? For, how long ago was the first? I mean, I guess a lot of people call them NDEs, near-death experiences, but it sounds like you weren't near-death. Yeah. You actually did cross over. Yeah. Can you just walk us through what happened? Well, real quickly, uh, it was March 14th, 1994. I had had a mammogram. Uh, I think it was my second one. I was 43. 
And I got a call from the hospital saying, we want you to come in for magnification studies because we saw some suspicious areas on your mammogram. And to make a long story short, they decided I need to have surgery to remove three lesions, they call them, in my right breast. And not all cancer tumors form a lump. Uh, sometimes they, the cells die and leave behind calcium deposits. And calcium deposits show up on the mammogram, but you can't feel them. So the radiologist did what's called a needle localization procedure, where she stuck a large bore needle with a wire inside of it into my breast, into tr kind of the center of the three tumors, in order to show the surgeon you know, where to cut. And she used a local anesthetic that I was not aware I was allergic to. Mm. And so I had anaphylactic shock. And plus, I had a very low blood sugar. And the two of them together caused me to go into anaphylactic shock. And I left my body and went into the light. And I had, as far as I can tell, the most extensive afterlife experience on record of anybody who's lived to tell about it. <laughs> Mm. And I don't mean to, to make light of it, but oh my gosh, Christine, the afterlife is wonderful. The dying, not so much. Mm. What do you mean by that? The dying, not so much. Dying's not good for your health. Mm. I did not know I was dying at the time. I, because I never lost a moment of consciousness. I just knew I was in the light. But I didn't connect in my mind. Oh, you wouldn't be in the light if you if you hadn't died. And I started having all these wonderful adventures. Well, eventually I did realize that I had died because I saw my body down on earth mm. in the mammography room. But as wonderful as that was, you know, the, the bliss, I mean, you know, whatever you have read about bliss, it's nothing in comparison to the real thing. And even greater than the bliss is complete and total acceptance of, of you, of everything you've done, and it's home. Mm. Dying is going home. But as other near-death experiencers will tell you, uh, there are physical side effects of that. And so when I came back into my body, I had some brain damage and um, I lost big chunks of memory. I mean, I used to be able to play the piano. I can't even read sheet music anymore. I used to be able to speak French and I, I can't even remember like four words anymore. Wow. But, and then I'm allergic to a lot of things. A lot of near-death experiencers... Um, if they've been gone long enough, when they come back, they have allergies and chemical sensitivities and electric problems. Yeah. You know, a lot of them can't wear watches because they won't run right. So I have a lot of those side effects. And so that's why I say dying is not that much fun. And then the other two times I died, I, I've got a lot of physical damage from those events as well. Were those for medical procedures as well? No. The second one... I think I was just grabbed up to go back into the afterlife yeah. because I wasn't working my mission. Mm. And I mm. felt like it was kind of, hey, you know, you promised you would do this, you know, tell people and you're not telling people. So, I, I, you know, I think I felt it was kind of an emotional slap up the side of the head, yeah. get with a program girl. And then the... That's a pretty severe slap time. upside the head. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it was... It was still wonderful. I mean, you know, I was in the afterlife and mm -hmm. I was with, you know, people who loved me. And uh, so it was still wonderful. Well, the third time I died from very low blood sodium. Mm. And, you know, they told me while I was in the afterlife that Nancy was, was dying and that I could, hadn't really done my mission. 
and I could choose either to come home and they wouldn't hold it against me that I hadn't completed my mission or I could choose to stay with Nancy. But if I stayed with Nancy, we would suffer for the rest of her natural life. Mm. And suffer physically? Guess what? <laughs> yeah. Uh. So, I, so I chose the suffering. Well, it's suffer physically. And also, you know, Christine, everybody suffers from the death of loved ones. Yes. Other yes. losses, you know, grieving, missed opportunities. I retired. I grieved retiring. You know, a human life is just hard. It is. It is. So, oh, I have so many questions. <laughs> Where do I start? Go for it. So first question, when you went into the light, can you walk us through that in more detail? Like what did it look like? What did you see? When you talk about they, were they actual figures that you thought you saw? Were they people? What was this? And I know it's probably very hard to put into words, but best you can, can you put into words what it was like? Okay. Yeah, the first time when I went into the light, you know, it was just all I saw at first was light. And, you know, I felt that incredible love and acceptance, you know, coming at me and going through me and then like turning around and going back from me back to where it was coming from. And I received just scads and scads and scads of what I can only call downloads of knowings. And knowings are different than learning things as a human. Knowings are the implantation mentally of everything there is that could possibly be known about a particular topic with the sense that you'd lived it yourself mm. and gained it all by firsthand experience. So I received knowings of just a whole bunch of different things before I, I even realized that I was in the afterlife. And then I saw my body down uh, in the mammography room. And that's when I first got the inkling. And I said to myself, nah, I couldn't have died. I always heard you go through a tunnel, you know, into the light. And I'm already in the light. And I didn't go through any tunnel. And boom, I'm in a tunnel. <laughs> and I didn't get, you know, the, the beautiful angels and the, you know, loved ones welcoming or the celestial tunnel going through clouds and outer space. I get dirt. Dirt? I get dirt and old stone and smelly air. I was like in a, what seemed to be like a railroad crossing over the top, you know, a railroad trestle over the top and stone walls and a dirt road. And it seemed to me like it might've been from like the 1920s or something. And then I realized that, you know, I, I got there just by thinking the word tunnel. So I spent some time manifesting things that would to humans be real, would be physical reality. And so I learned by doing, and then also I got a download of knowings that we manifest into physical reality what we truly and deeply believe about ourselves, about life, and about our place in the world. Mm. So, but anyway, that was all going on. There wasn't really any environment, like the light kind of disappeared and it was just like a mental life. So the rest of my afterlife experience was going on in, in my head, not that I had a head, but it was, it was a mental and emotional life. I did meet my five dearest, most beloved eternal friends, none of whom I'd ever been incarnated with. And they, they weren't anyone related to me or known to me in Nancy's life. And when you saw them, were they in human form? No, they, I called them energy beings. Okay. They had the appearance of kind of like looking into the center of a light bulb 
you know, just kind of like a head and a suggestion of shoulders and then just straight down, but light coming out mm. from inside them. They were emanating light from the inside. Now, after I'd been in the afterlife for a while, they no longer had that appearance. You know, I was told that the transition from, you know, human life to spiritual life is uniquely yours and is handled in a way to make you the most comfortable. And so lots of people see lots of things that will make them comfortable. But once they're comfortable, those things disappear. So my light being friends kind of, they were still there, but I didn't see them anymore. I could just feel them. And then the other two times that I died, I went before a group of light beings again, and they were just, you know, the glowing from within kind of a head and shoulders affair kind of arranged in a semicircle the first time. And the second time they were around a conference table and I could see the conference table. And I saw that time I saw Nancy's mother and father, their faces were on two of the light beings for just a second. Hmm. And then they were gone. And then I saw somebody I know in, in Nancy's human life, a living human in the afterlife. Hmm. And I thought that was pretty amazing. How does that happen? But so that's, I don't know. <laughs> I, have, I have read one or two other afterlife experiencers who saw living humans in the afterlife. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They, they didn't know how it happened either. Wow. That's, I wonder if people are like astral traveling in their dreams or, huh, it's so interesting. I don't, I don't know, but, but that, it was a guy, it was a guy I know from the gym that I, that, you know, in human life that I saw. And when I talked to him later, I started telling him the story. He goes, yeah, that was me. Wow. So he, he was aware he was. Wow. Aware. Wow. Wow. Okay. So you said that, and don't let me forget to ask the question about my daughter. I'm, I'm trying to track all these things down, but I don't want to ask it yet. So I want to stay in what you said earlier about you felt this degree of acceptance. Because I've heard people that have had near-death experiences before just feel this overwhelming sense of love. And I also hear that from people that do different plant medicines, different psychedelics. I've dabbled in it a little bit. And the common thing is I just felt this overwhelming sense of love. I feel like I had an ego death or I died or I went to another dimension and it was light and everything was just love. Can, again, I know it's hard to put into words, but what was the feeling like? You said acceptance. Can you expand on that a little bit? I was so busy learning. I didn't really pay that much attention to how I was feeling. I mean, I was feeling like, ooh, ah, that's amazing, you know, because everything I learned through knowings in the afterlife was the complete opposite of everything I'd ever believed before. So I spent the entire time with my mind being blown um, by all these wonderful and surprising things. I also watched, oh, I had a life review, and I watched the history of Earth from its create, well, from its evolution into the planet Earth all the way through its destruction and how religion developed over the millennia and why it developed the way it did. Because that was, I think, the way my question of, you know, why didn't I know all this stuff before mm -hmm. got answered? And later in the afterlife experience, I both witnessed and remembered creating the universe. What do you mean and by I that? I saw all that. You witnessed and remembered the creation of the universe. You, you saw what? life forms start to happen? Oh, no. I saw the whole thing from what, what humans call the Big Bang. Oh, wow. Human religions 
almost all are premised on a pyramid where God is at the top and humans are at the bottom and they're separate. I learned in the afterlife that there's no separation at all, that there's only one mind. And I, I call that mind source because my experience of what people call God or the creator or Yahweh or Allah, whatever, my experience of that deity was as energy. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was an energy source, a power source. So I just call it source. And I realized through watching the creation of the universe and remembering, remembering doing it, that I am source. And so is everybody else. But anyway, I saw source expel mental energy to create what humans would call something like a dream, only far, far more sophisticated. Mm. So Source imagined this entire universe and it expelled mental energy in a creative process to create this universe. But it didn't create, you know, like planets and stars and, you know, things like that. It just sent the energy out and then it created what humans would call laws of nature, you know, like gravity, Mm -hmm. um, the laws of molecular cohesion, chemical bonding, um, I don't know what else. It's been a long time since I've had chemistry and physics classes. Me too. But so source, you know, created those natural laws and imposed them on the energy that it sent out to imagine the universe. And then over a period of bazillions of years, those natural laws came about evolving the energy into chemicals and rocks and dust and planets and stars and eventually creatures. So I watched all that. I watched human beings from develop from DNA all the way through its various life forms to what humans are today. And I remembered doing it. So that was my first inkling that I was source. Well, I also received knowings and watched source create what humans call souls And the process is a lot more sophisticated, but it's kind of like our dreams. You know, when we're dreaming, we mentally imagine this dreamscape, and there we put characters in it. And one of those characters is usually the same body that we inhabit during the day. You know, it's and we're inside that dream character, interacting with the other characters and watching the action. Well, that's essentially what Source is doing when it creates the universe. It imagines the universe, that would be the dreamscape, and then it imagines other characters, that would be the the plants and the rocks and the animals and the creatures on other planets and you know all the inhabitants of the universe. And then source puts its own consciousness and self-awareness into those creatures and things, the same way we put our own consciousness into a dream character that looks like us. So the source puts it into everything and can experience the universe from inside looking out of all these various creatures and things. So isn't that amazing? It's so amazing. So I guess this segues to one question I want to ask. What is the whole purpose of being human? Because like you said earlier, being human is hard. (laughs) We have to endure. I mean, we get to have all kinds of amazing things, but we also endure a lot of hardship. And one thing that I've heard in my spiritual teachings and in some of my deeper meditations that I've had 
have confirmed this is that that reincarnation does exist, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it. And not in the traditional sense of the word, but that like we're, our soul is kind of always on a journey to get back home, get back to source. And we kind of go through these different human experiences to learn and grow and evolve our consciousness, clear karma, et cetera. That's, one, that's the simplest way I can put it. I'd love your perspective on that. Like what is the whole point of being human? Okay. Well, first, reincarnation is real. I did not believe in it before I died the first time. Mm -hmm. But while my life review was going on, I kind of said, been there, done that. You know, I remembered Nancy's life had (laughs) just been there. Mm -hmm. I got back memories of hundreds or or maybe even thousands of other lifetimes I had lived all over the universe and all kinds of creatures and things. I remember being a gaseous nebula and living that way. And I remembered every single moment of every single life. Wow. So that proved to me that reincarnation is real. I had a lot of the same beliefs that you have obviously gathered through your lifetime and through your meditations and readings. But I learned that a lot of them aren't quite on point. Right. For example, you know, I was telling you about how Source created the universe and then it put its awareness into lots of various things that it created. So like Source created humans. And dogs and cats and trees, you know, didn't create them directly, but allowed them to evolve through the processes that, you know, had been imposed on its own imagination. The purpose was so that source could feel all the things it could imagine. So it's like, you know, when you're watching a dream, if it's not a particularly interesting dream, you just kind of watch it like you're watching TV and you don't get emotionally involved. And source wasn't happy with that. Source wanted to be emotionally involved. It wanted to know, okay, it can imagine a creature that slithers on the ground. Well, what does that feel like? And so Source put its own self-awareness and consciousness into all these things in the physical universe in order to learn or to know what it feels like to be that kind of a creature, to have that kind of a life. And after each and every thing in the universe, every creature in the universe and the universe itself has a life cycle. So everything evolves or is created or is produced, you know, via reproduction like humans have, it lives and then it ends living in the universe or in the physical world. And after each death, so like if we're incarnating into humans right now, after each death, we go back to source We don't have to earn our way or work our way or figure out our way or resolve any karma. We're not learning anything. We're just experiencing and we go back to source. And then the next time we want to reincarnate, we come out again and we enter into something else. So it's not a system where we have to learn anything or become anything because we're already source. You can't be any better than that. Mm. So what do you think drives the impulse of humans to learn and grow and raise their consciousness? Oh, the souls. We saw, we are the person that you think of as Christina and I think of as Nancy is really the soul inside the body. Mm -hmm. The bodies are just wild animals and they're either trained or they're not trained. And we're seeing a lot of untrained animals on on TV (laughs) these days. Um, So true. But we are the souls inside and we are source. So we have the same thirst for learning, the same curiosity, the same creativity, the same unconditional love, the same 
character traits as well as some character traits that source divvied up into individual souls, what we would call souls, that are unlike source. So what I saw was source creating mental characters, like um, an author creates book characters, and you know each book character has its own personality. Well, source did that, created these mental characters, each with its own personality, each with some source traits and some traits that source could imagine but couldn't actually experience. And that's those personalities are what I was seeing in the afterlife as light beings or beings of energy. And it's what incarnates into the physical world. And we call the part that's incarnated the soul. So every soul is interested in learning and growing. And, and basically, we all have this little spark of knowledge that there's more. And we're always trying to find that more. Well, we find it when we die and go back home. So what's the point of coming in in the first place? Oh, yeah. You asked me earlier, why do we, why yeah, do we, why do we incarnate even into Because I learned in the afterlife, you know, after, you know, seeing the entire universe and sources take on it and sources understanding of it, that earth is considered to be a young, primitive, wild planet. And the creatures on it are considered to be wild, primitive, um, undeveloped, difficult, um, animals and plants and insects and everything else to incarnate into. And humans are viewed in the afterlife as a very challenging species to incarnate into and to try to be one's own true spiritual self while inside a wild animal that's violent, self-centered, selfish, manipulative, sneaky, cunning, competitive, always trying to get one up on the other guy in a dog-eat-dog world. So we come here when we've incarnated enough that we think we can handle it. <laughs> we, we come into humans because it's a challenge. It's a thrill. But if the afterlife is so great, why do we want that thrill? You know that feeling of... Um, the grass is always greener on the other side. Yeah, we still yeah, have you, that. That still that, happens that in the afterlife. We're not over that yet. <laughs> that, that is, that's a characteristic of source. Mm. It's always, there's something else. There's something better out there. You know, when I was in the afterlife um, and when I was just in the light and I was kind of hanging out trying to figure out what had happened to me, I knew instinctively that I was not going back to human life and I missed chocolate. Oh, I would miss chocolate I miss so much. eating. I miss the wind on my face or the wind through my hair and the sun on my face and hugging. I miss physical contact. See, none of that exists in the afterlife. So you ask, you know, well, if the afterlife's so blissful, why would anybody leave that and come here? It's for those things. It's to see the sunrise. It's to hold a baby. It's to give mm. birth to a baby. Mm. It's to you know, have friends and touch and laugh and drink and eat and see to a, an eternal being like a light being or, you know, a soul. Human life is like two seconds long. You know, to mm. a human, it's forever. So <laughs> depending forever. on how old you are. Uh, but 
in the context of eternal life, it's, it's you know, kind of like it's only two seconds worth of experience. And we'll do anything for two seconds. I mean, even the most hideous, horrific life, we can handle it for two seconds. Right. Right. So in a soul's perspective, it's like, oh, okay. Now, do we pick the life? Do we see, before you came in as Nancy, did you see the, the life you were choosing? Yes. We, uh, as part of the reincarnation stage of the afterlife, we have a goal. We, we set a goal for incarnating. And the goal can be either, like if we incarnate a lot, we might set a goal of just coming into physical life to be a support person for somebody else. Or we might come into physical life with, with another soul in order to be a catalyst for their life, to do something that they need to be done so that they can accomplish what they want to accomplish. But most early incarnating uh, souls pick a theme, a character trait, something that's unique to physical life that source can't experience directly. And then they incarnate over and over and over and over and over into every kind of creature and thing that has that character trait in order to observe it and to feel it from a 360-degree perspective. So let's say you're, that the theme you're studying is greed. You'll incarnate into humans, and then every other creature in the universe that can experience greed. And you'll do it over and over and over until you've seen greed in all its glory, <laughs> or gory, I guess. I kind of lost my train of thought there. I was, I was off of the afterlife. Oh, that's okay. Greed. That's okay. You were talking about if we, we, like, if we're here to learn about greed. Oh, oh, and incarnating, do we pick our lives or we get to see it? So we like, let's say, for example, we're, our goal is to observe a particular or experience a particular theme. We will watch parents of the creature we want to incarnate into. We will watch them and see what their lifestyles like, what their, character traits are, what their DNA is able to produce. And we will select the parents that will produce the offspring that we want to incarnate into. We don't necessarily pick the baby. We pick the parents. And so if, God forbid, a mother has a miscarriage or you know a child dies early, we can come into the next child. It doesn't matter that much to us. You know, humans are in love with how, how they look and, you know, who they who their body is. We souls don't really care that much. We care about what kind of experiences we can have. So you're saying if a, a soul comes in and there's a miscarriage, it just comes back again? Is that what you're saying? It can if it wants, yeah. Okay. But sometimes it's just enough just to have that brief experience? Yes. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So if I'm hearing you correctly, I'm up there, I'm a soul and I'm like, I want to learn about what it's like to, to deal with depression in a lifetime or something like that. And it looks around for the kind of parents that would be most likely to help give me that experience. Yes. And then you watch, like if you, you're watching the parents and you see they're going to produce a child that they will ultimately name Christine. You watch the parents and the life that could be Christine's mm-hmm. scenes from it. You, you know, just dabble into scenes from it to see if it's going to be a life that's going to give you the experiences that you want. And then when you when you actually you know, like if you come into Christine and you actually experience those previews that you saw in the afterlife, you'll feel deja vu 
Huh. So deja vu is basically things we saw in the afterlife that were that happen in this physical world reality. Yep. Okay. So I just had a baby. Well, six months ago, but it feels like it just it feels like it just happened. <laughs> so she was up there watching my husband and I, thinking about what kind of experiences she wanted to have, and basically picked us. So we do pick our parents. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So this is a question I was going to ask about her. And I want to keep going, coming back to this. So one of my intentions as a mother, because I feel that birth and death are very closely linked and I'd love your viewpoint on that. I think just the, um, you know, the, con- the connection to the afterlife at birth and at death is pretty profound. And I want to do my best to keep her connected because I could see many, and maybe I'm making this up in my head, but many times as a baby, especially as a newborn, but even now I see her seeing things I can't see, uh-huh. having experiences, um, things happening in her dream states. And again, I could be making it up, but what I'm making it mean is she's connecting to source spirit, whatever we want to call it. And she's still very aware of that realm. And I want to make sure that I help her stay connected to that, to help her remember who she is, to help her keep that channel open as much as I can. Any tips on how I can do that? Well, from what I learned in the afterlife is you're absolutely right that, you know, very small children still remember who they really are and they still have that connection and they still, they can see things that we can't see. They feel things that we can't feel. I don't know that there really is a way to help a child maintain that emotional connection to who and what they really are, but you can certainly help them intellectually remember who and what they are just by and enlightening them the same way you've enlightened yourself, mm. you know, get, give them the knowledge that you have gathered, you know, and when they talk to you about things that maybe present an opportunity to get into a deeper discussion about spiritual life, take the opportunity. Mm. I love that. I love that. And I'm even thinking now when she's a baby, you know, how to, just because she has such access to it. And I know part of the human experience is that we, you know, we grow and we're in this dense 3D world and we have minds and, you know, we, we often can lose that access, but I'll just, I'll just have to in, intuit it and just see, you know, just watch her. Well, when she gets old enough to talk, ask her questions. Ask yeah. her if she remembers yeah. being in other lives. Ask if she remembers what it's like. Mm-hmm. I love that. At home. I love that. Because I've had little kids tell me they remember other lives, and you know we looked them up, and sure enough, <laughs> that person did exist. Wow! How do you look them up? Well, like for example, um, this little boy who was kind of like my godson when he was three years old, he went up to his parents and he said, "You know, I picked you." And he said, um, <laughs> "I was a race car driver, and I was driving in this you know fast car on a racetrack, and I went off the track and went into the water." And I died. And the next thing I know, I'm here. And um, his parents and I, you know, researched and there's, there was a race car driver who went wow. off the track and into the water and who died someplace in Florida. Wow. Isn't that amazing? And it was, it was a number of, you know, year, it was decades ago. So there was enough time that had passed in human life that you know, soul could have reincarnated. It's amazing. So I want to go back to this whole human life suffering thing. 
when we're in those moments, uh, let's say somebody's going through just terrible financial troubles or um, they just had a massive heartbreak and they just can't seem to catch a break and there just seems to be a lot of suffering. What could you say that could be comforting to them? Like, is it part of their destiny or is it um, just something that they have to endure in this lifetime? Like they've tried so many things and they just can't seem to get rid of financial hardship or heartbreak or whatever it may be. Like how do they, how do they navigate that? It's different depending upon what the source of the suffering is. Okay. Like financial difficulties, you can consciously manifest better opportunities for yourself. And my book, um, uh, create a new reality explains how you consciously manifest a particular event or opportunity in your life that, that might solve your financial problems. Grieving someone, time just has to pass. It's not fate. You know, there is no fate. Human life consists of biology and manifesting. It's mm. one or the other. It's just biology that we grieve. Mm. And, mm. You, you know, you, you just have to get through it. You, you can ease the suffering of grieving or loss or disappointment by looking at the facts a different way. And, you know, you've heard people say, like if a loved one has died, you know, some people will say to you, oh, well, now they're in a better place. Well, I personally, you know, find that kind of offensive, you know, mm -hmm. it's not very empathic, but it's true. And so if you can get your mind away from how much it hurts for you not to have them with you and get your mind into a place where you can actually say to yourself, wow, they really are in a better better place and I should be happy for them. The other thing that I learned in the afterlife that, that relates to grieving is when we incarnate, we only put part of our energy into the physical being and the rest stays in the light in the afterlife. So the rest of Christine, the rest of Nancy, or, you know, the souls that are inside Christine and Nancy are in the afterlife and they're still, they're together. So it's like, you're still together with all your loved ones in the afterlife. You can mm. see them anytime you want. You can mentally, you know, telepathically talk to them anytime you want. You're not missing a thing. It's just that the part that's been incarnated into physical matter that feels cut off from that, that's mm. grieving. So if you can tell yourself, you know, I'm not really separated from them. I'm right there with them and, and talk to them kind of like, uh, you might call it prayer, but I would just, just call it a conversation. You know, just mm -hmm. because they're not here and you can't see them doesn't mean they don't love you because they do. They still love you a bazillion times more than they ever could when they were in human life. And they will do anything for you if they can. So talk to them, ask them for favors, ask them mm -hmm. to help you take pain away. I did that all the time when I was in, you know, especially during radiation treatments, they were very painful. I asked my parents to take the pain away from me. Mm -hmm. They did. I love that. I love that. So let's talk about manifesting. How do we do it? How do we manifest something different? There are two ways, and they fit in with, I think, you know, the coaching that you do. One is I call conscious manifesting. That requires you to turn your attention and creative intention to creating literal physical reality of some type. 
let's say you want to, well, let's go back to financial difficulties. Let's say you want to create an opportunity to bring more abundance into your life. First, you have to focus your attention on what, what might be likely. And, you know, and it, it may not take a lot of time, but, you know, if you run a business, you may want to look at what other businesses like yours are doing. You know, what other kinds of opportunities have they come up with? You know, kind of survey the waterfront just so that you know what's possible, what you would believe, um, because nobody believes that they're going to open a kitchen drawer and find a million dollars in there. Mm. You know, it's got to be, we only manifest what we truly and deeply believe, and we get most of our beliefs from the body. So you have to like figure out, okay, what are the potentials? Then you go into, some people will call it a meditative state. I don't call it that. I call it in a state where the mind is completely empty and you step back and can observe the human. And when you are in that observer, that witness role, then you're in your soul mind. And then you intend and expect for an opportunity to come into your life to bring you abundance. And I have found that it works best if you don't specify what the opportunity mm-hmm. is going to be. You just say, you know, I am creating a new income stream right now. So that's conscious manifesting. Unconscious manifesting really requires you to heal the past. We, as I said before, we get our beliefs from the bodies. You know, 99.9% of souls believe they're human and they believe the same things their bodies do. And a lot of those beliefs were created at a time when the body had zero ability to understand what kind of belief they were creating. We create beliefs inside the womb as an infant, as a mm. baby, as a toddler, in grade school, and you know, all the way through life. Something will happen and we'll think, well, that's it. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's the truth about life and they believe. And I have known people who created beliefs based on things that were a joke. You know, like their parents said something in jest and they believed it. And mm-hmm. they developed an entire lifestyle based on something that's just complete fiction. Mm-hmm. Or they may, you know, come up with this absurd conclusion that their parents don't love them because they're misinterpreting actions. You know, so, you know, having beliefs that are created by a body that doesn't really have the intellectual capacity to understand what's going on in life mm-hmm. results in adults having all kinds of wacko beliefs. So you have to bring that belief to the light, bring it out, bring it to the forefront, look at it as an adult and say, huh, that doesn't make any sense. And then just throw it out. Mm. And some, some beliefs are going to be easy to throw out because they really don't make any sense. Some of them are like, if you believe that you're not lovable, that's going to take some work. Yeah. And that's going to take some coaching like you do to, you know, reframe that, to have new experiences, to learn something new. You know, there are various ways that I, I have in my book, Create a New Reality, for how to reverse that belief or clean it up or fix it or get rid of it. Because you have been manifesting an entire lifetime to prove that crazy belief. 
So if you heal that belief and you change that belief, you will automatically unconsciously start manifesting a new life mm-hmm. that re- reflects your new beliefs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. I just recorded a podcast last week about getting pregnant easily and naturally in my 40s. And I think a big reason why is because I just always believed I could. I stopped saying my age. I stopped identifying with it. I also froze my eggs in my 30s. I didn't use them, but I just kind of had that backup plan. And it just never, I just didn't let myself buy into the belief that, you know, once you're 35, you're geriatric and you can't have it and all that kind of stuff. And now I have believed plenty of other awful things (laughs) that have really held me back in life. But for whatever reason, I just didn't buy into that. And I don't think I would have gotten pregnant had I had I bought into that belief because it would have been a huge block into manifesting this. So I love what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad you did that. Because nobody <laughs> should be a mom more than you. Oh, well, well, thank you. Thank you. Sometimes I'm like, I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I could talk to you forever. I'm so glad you have a book. I want to start to wrap it up and ask you. And I'm sure you've said a lot of this, but I just want to give you an opportunity to to reemphasize things or to add things. If there were things that you just want everyone to know, like humans to know, that you know that source wants us to know, what would that be? Or what would those things be? Number one, we are source. There's nothing greater out there. There's nothing bigger, more powerful, more wonderful, more intelligent, more loving, than us. Our only problem is when we're inside these human bodies, we don't know who we are. So if you can open your mind and open your heart and see that you are literally the deity that you have been worshiping, I I think it would bring a lot of comfort. Mm. Number two, because we are source, we are powerful. We have the power to literally create physical matter physical reality for the body we inhabit. We have the power to love unconditionally. It's extremely hard inside a human, but it's possible. We have the power to have multiple simultaneous levels of awareness. And where that comes in handy is it gives us the ability to step back from our own perspective and try to see things from somebody else's viewpoint. You know that old saying of walk a mile in my shoes? Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to love and to forgive if you can get into somebody else's perspective and see it their way and start to realize and understand where they're coming from. And we have the power to do that. We have the power to access universal knowledge, what I call universal knowledge. That's everything the source knows. And we can get, you know, mundane things like I've gotten bookkeeping tips from universal (laughs) knowledge and lots of it. My mom used to, she learned how to knit and crochet for long enough to teach me how to do them from accessing universal knowledge. We can also get the answers to our big spiritual questions by accessing universal knowledge. And we all have the ability to do that. Mm. How can we do that? The same way that we um, access all of our spiritual powers, which is to get the human out of the way. As much as we can, you know, shut off all physical inputs. You know, if you could get into a sensory deprivation chamber, that would be ideal. 
But otherwise, you know, get into a quiet room, close your eyes, get comfortable, no hot, no cold, no sound, no people, nothing to interrupt you. Calm yourself down and start emptying the mind. When a thought comes in, push it back out. Another thought comes in, push it back out. And keep doing that until your mind is completely blank. And when you get it that way, you'll realize, well, you know, if I'm the one pushing thoughts out, who's the one having the thoughts? Mm-hmm. And it's the part of you that thinks it's human. Mm. And the part of you that's stepping back and, and watching is your spiritual self, your soul self. Mm. And when you're in that spiritual self, you've got access to all your powers. Mm. I love that. For someone, Nancy, that may just feel very disconnected from source, feel like they just can't catch a break at all, undeserving, unlovable, not enough, what would you say to that person? I would say either do it yourself or get somebody to help you bring all those destructive beliefs to the light. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I have a degree in psychology and I, you know, I used to read every psychological book coming and going, <laughs> and I've read a lot of them that, you know, that really helped me through, you know, automobile accidents and all kinds of things. But I have learned in the afterlife that you don't have to dredge up the memories. You don't have to dredge up the traumatic memories. You just have to, figure out what the belief right. formed as a result of those traumatic events. That's right. And bring the, bring the belief into an adult world and look at it and see if it makes any sense. And if it doesn't, fix it. And mm-hmm. once you fix destructive beliefs, you will automatically start manifesting a better life. Hmm. I love this. Oh, Nancy, well, thank you for dying several times. <laughs> So that you can bring this this knowledge back to us. Tell people where they can learn more about you and get your book. Well, I have five books, actually. Mm. Uh, it took five books for me to document everything that happened to me and that I learned in the afterlife. And I have two websites. One is nancydanison.com, N-A-N-C-I-D-A-N-I-S-O-N.com. And the other is Backwards Books, B-A-C-K-W-A-R-D-S-B-O-O-K-S.com. Or actually, you can just Google me. Yeah. <laughs> I've got like 16 pages in Google. But it's N-A-N-C-I-D-A-N-I-S-O-N. Great. And for someone that just wants to, what would be the best book for someone to start with? The book that I think gives up the view from 40,000 feet, you know, kind of just hits on every topic a little bit, is the first one that I wrote. Because I didn't know if I'd ever get another one published. It's called Backwards, Returning to Our Source for Answers. Mm, I love that. I love that. Such beautiful information. Well, I hope that the rest of your physical world reality life on this planet is as beautiful as it can be. And thank you for bringing us such tremendous wisdom back from the afterlife. I'm so grateful for you. Well, thank you for this opportunity to spend some time with you, Christine. And I I wish you the best of luck with your daughter. And I know you're going to be a great, great mom. Thank you. 